Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, I wanted to continue uh, about the topic of prayer and what God is, is teaching me about prayer. And uh, I believe that the Lord is teaching me for us. And I'm going to just try to get through as much of this as, as, I, as I can. But it, I want to kind of put us all on the same page. And, and have, you ever, have you ever wondered that if you had just prayed a little bit differently, if maybe you would have felt it just a little more intently, or if you had found the right words, or maybe even just better words, uh, that maybe your prayers would have been heard. Maybe God doesn't do something and you just kind of wonder, man, maybe I, maybe I just don't care enough or I wasn't persistent enough. Or maybe you try to flesh out the, the difficulties that you're experiencing when there's verses in the Bible telling you that if you just pray in Jesus' name, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll do whatever you want. If you can desire it, God will do it. Uh, and And ideas and concepts like, you know, God works for my happiness. But, but then difficulties are still, you know, there and they're still present. And so what is the point of praying if God exists to serve me and so that my goodness and my blessing can, can be used to demonstrate his goodness, then why am I going through difficulties? And by the way, that, that's not at all how prayer works or God's will works. Uh, just, just so that you'll know I'm not, some of you have already tapped out and said I can't listen to him. But you ever wonder, and I know you do because you know, we talk about this from time to time. What is the point of praying? And I don't think that this is, you ever heard a sermon on praying? I know a lot of, a lot of folks uh, have told me before when I preach on praying, it's like I don't pray for a month because I don't know how. I mean, I don't even know how to pray over food. Uh, when, when you hear and you study what Scripture says about, about praying. But what is the point of praying? And so, because we really don't get prayer or understand prayer, it becomes easier praying just easy, you know, empty, ritual prayers over food and sleep and physical pains and maybe some fears. And that's about as deep as Christians teach their children to pray. And there's nothing wrong with praying over, you know, God's provision and God's blessing and wanting rest in our life. And, you know, he does cast out fear. I mean, all of those are, are right, and, but, but sometimes our prayers are so superficial because we're afraid to risk anything. We're afraid to really, really ask God anything. But prayer is multifaceted. And, uh, and, I, and some even may say, well, if God is sovereign, he knows everything. Is God, if God is omnipotent, if God is omnipresent, if God is like, like all sufficient within himself, then certainly God knows uh, all things, omniscient. He's, he, he, he knows everything. Why would I why pray? So, Lord, you already know all this, but I'm going to go through my list of things that I'm supposed to tell you, and there's no change in our life. The prayer is so multifaceted, even, even in Scripture, there's not one type of prayer. And so to reduce prayer into one thing is to really misunderstand prayer altogether. To use the same formula 
uh, for every prayer would hardly make sense. And some of you may have heard or, or may even use the ACTS form of praying, A-C-T-S, adoration. You know, you give God, you know, adoration. And then confession where you tell, tell him about, you know, your, your failures and, and where you need help. And then you thank God for all of the blessings in your life. And lastly, supplication. The S is where we really give God our our personal needs and the needs of those that we're in community with. And so it's a good way to pray. It's a good way to pray. But if you pray like the same way every time you pray, then it's really easy to just make prayer a habit, a thing we do. And if there's one thing that I want you to recognize today is that prayer is a lifestyle. It is not an event. And so when you start thinking about prayer and you turn it into this thing that you must do or this thing that you do regularly, you're going to miss and, and prayer will turn into this ritual formulaic trans, transferring of information to someone who is already all-knowing. So, so when we do that, we begin to cheapen prayer at every level. And again, if you're really serious, you tack on it in Jesus' name just in case God doesn't know. And that, you know, again, no reason at all for us to not think that that's a good way to pray. But sometimes I feel our prayer just, and maybe it's just me, just rote, ritual, without meaning, without power, without risk. And it doesn't provide direction. When you compare your prayer life with the intensity of those prayer warriors in Scripture, there's no doubt we feel a little bit insecure about continuing that chain. So so here's a couple things that I want us to kind of know for today. Number one, prayer is presence. Prayer is presence. Prayer is spending time communing with God. It is not just communicating with him. I can communicate with God with my head. I can say things with my mouth, but communing with God engages my emotion and my heart. So we go from just sharing information to intensity, from from details to obligations on into intimacy with him, not just talking to him. So every prayer does not have to follow the same pattern. Imagine if I'm talking to my wife, who's here today, by the way. If I'm talking to my wife and I'm going through the, the formula of topics. And, uh, okay, now we're going to talk about this line. And now we're going to talk about this line. And now we're going to talk about this line. And, uh, you know, in, in my name, I talk. Uh, I'm done. I mean, how quick does it take for, you know, it really makes that conversation more about the formula, makes it more about the topics, makes it more about the notes than it does about the person that I'm communicating with. And so when you think about prayer, try to think about it more than information and a, and a, and a formula. Try to think of it as this is the time where I'm actually sitting in his presence, So there's a couple things from last week that I want to build as a premise. Number one, very important, prayer is not ever meant to move God to earth by our side. Prayer is meant to move us to his side in heaven. And so think about prayer this way. Uh, Prayer is a, a process that involves all three persons of the Trinity. And this is consistent all throughout Scripture. So now that I'm a follower of Christ, I have 
in me the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, we don't know how to pray. The Holy Spirit makes groanings. And, and often I was in the Spirit, I was in the Spirit. So it's, we pray in the Spirit. That's what gives us the impetus to commune with God. This, this intimacy within us uh, to, to, our, to our Father. But heaven's throne room is slammed shut because of our sin and our separation from him and our disobedience. And so Jesus is the one who afforded us entry into the throne room. And so while we pray in the spirit, the spirit takes that prayer through the son. It is the son who makes entry for us into the throne room of the father. When we step to the throne, that is who we're praying to all times, the father. It's always the Father's will. Jesus makes the way. The Holy Spirit gives it life. Just the same way he does in salvation. It works in prayer. So I pray in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. So if, and again, this is, it's really tricky to put like illustrations on the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit would be the vehicle. Jesus would be the, the road. And the Father would be the destination. So that's how prayer ultimately works. And it's the Holy Spirit who crafts our prayers and Jesus who understands all of our struggles, all of our infirmity, all of our issues. Jesus crafts that prayer, makes intercession for us, mediates for us, and takes that final prayer to the Father for his approval. Beautiful, beautiful process. But remember this also from last week. Prayer is for alignment. It is the chief purpose of prayer. And if you watch Jesus' prayers and the apostles' prayers and all the Old Testament saints' prayers, you will see that prayer puts us in alignment with the heart of God. The presence of the Father is where I can learn his heart, his character, his motivations, what he wants, what he desires. And then I can begin to look at my own life and process and filter out what his desires is versus my desires. I can begin to prioritize my life with checks and balances for distractions, and I begin to pursue what he wants for me rather than asking permission to do what I want. It really is a small tweak, but it changes everything. To want what God wants, not what I want for myself. And so it's a mixture of personal time alone with God's word, with personal time with him himself. So maybe think prayer is, is my part of the conversation and scripture is the father speaking back, purifying that prayer. Scripture is the father speaking back to our, our minds. Prayer is my heart. Scripture is God illuminating. So this is where we get the big picture of who God is, his character, his, his heart. And, and now that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the Holy Spirit actually also speaks to our heart and our emotions, and it helps our praying. It's there that we can hear our, our own. And I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just me, but you know, when I'm praying and I know I'm in the presence of God and I begin to pray, I can actually hear my own selfishness, my own laziness. I can, you can hear disobedience and wrong direction and you can hear neglect and you can begin to confess that to the Lord. And, and in this, you can truly walk away from prayer. And I know this is what we all want from prayer is to be refreshed, to be light, and to be free. Now, I don't think or any human being uh, 
can, I know I can never understand God's calculus, how, when, and where he decides to answer prayer. It's beyond me. I can accept it. God doesn't always do uh, the same thing twice. And I, I, I can accept it. But I do think, in fact, I know that it's possible for us to know his heart, to know what, how he is glorified. And I do know that it's through prayer that he reveals to us our way of bringing him glory in every situation. That then is, must be the purpose of prayer, is how can I live my life in alignment with his greatest glory? And we say we want that, but oftentimes our prayers are more about our comfort and our convenience and our wants and our wishes and being blessed. I want us to turn to a couple of different stories today. Lesser known stories, I guess, maybe. See what they teach us about prayer? And they're, they're unmistakably tied together, though the narrative uh, doesn't tie them together. First one's Numbers 27. Numbers 27. Numbers is a book of the Bible. Numbers chapter 27. The daughters of Zillophad were five sisters named Mala, Noah. This one actually was born in Arkansas. Hogla, Milka, and Terza. He came to Moses with uh, this, this serious concern. It was a, a real issue going on. And they were about, children of Israel were about to go into the promised land. And, and all the elders were getting together with Moses' direction. And they were apportioning out uh, parcels of land in the promised land. Now, this has been a long time in coming, but all the tribes are going to get a different section and a different parcel of that land, and they were going to divide it up into tribes and up into families and, and, their, and, and so on. And, and in Numbers chapter 26, just one page ahead, verse 52 through 56, Moses is given the instructions by the Lord of what the law is going to look like so that, every, so that everything is fair for them. So here in chapter 27, uh, these sisters have a very unique situation. Tensions are very high. Nobody knows what to expect next. Uh, this, the generation that had doubted God, you remember that 40 years in the wilderness? That generation is, is dying off and none of them are going to be able to go into the promised land. And this younger generation were faithful and the younger generation that did not doubt God is excited about being into the promised land and they're going to inherit the promise given to their fathers. And so this begins one of these cases of God fully granting this audacious request uh, and, and not only is the request audacious, but God's quick answer to this prayer with incredible generosity is just, it's kind of mind-blowing. So Israel's going into the promised land, and uh, they're, they're dividing it all up. Now, according to the law of the time, that meant that each male head of, of the home would get an allotment of land within the tribe. Uh, and then he would pass it on to all of his male children. And then they would pass it on to the male children and on and on and on. And that presented a problem for the five daughters of Zelophad because he had just died. Zelophad had died. He had no brothers. 
they had no, his daughters had no husbands. And that meant that Zelophad's family plot would go to someone else from outside of the immediate family. And the Zelophad family name would be literally wiped off the map. And his daughters don't want that to happen. And so they come to Moses and they say this. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. Now, this might not sound that audacious at first, but stop and really think about what they're saying. They're actually asking for God to make an exception in the laws that he just gave concerning inheritance. I mean, right out of the gate, but what about me? What about us? They're saying that the way things are currently written isn't right, and it needs to change. Pretty, pretty bold girls. We would say, you better check yourself, ladies, because just a little while ago, do you not remember Korah's rebellion when he approached Moses? The earth swallowed him up. These girls don't care. In fact, their appeal is kind of based on that. There were 15,000 Israelites who ultimately die as a result of that rebellion. And, and their dad, they said, their dad was not one of those that died in Korah's rebellion. In other words, our dad was loyal to Israel. and He didn't die as one of those or we would understand. We should not be punished by not getting land. Now, you know, as well as I do, and you look at Scripture, God's law is not a democracy. You do not get to approach the Almighty and say, a little more of this, a little less of this. Uh, we voted, Lord, and we think. <laughs> he doesn't typically leave suggestion boxes when he speaks. So it's one thing to question, to humbly state that something just doesn't make sense to us, but to say, give us the land that rightly belongs to us, I mean, to appeal divine rules. That's, that's just... That's not a thing. I mean, that's, that's either really bold or ignorant. And yet, despite all of that, Moses goes, and I don't know what he was thinking, but he gives the request to God, and here's what the Lord said, verse 5. It, remember, it's God's law. He made it. Verse 5, he says, Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, the dollars of Zelophehad are... The right. Give them a possession of the inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. I mean, that was pretty quick. You ever wish your prayer life was answered that quick? You ever wish that you could pray and God go, you know what, you're right about that. <laughs> God grants their request, makes an exception to his own law to let them inherit their father's land. Now, that in and of itself is astounding, but look what he does. Here's another thing. God's not even done yet. He goes even further. Look at verse 8. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughters. Not just for Zelophad's girls, all women, all Israel. 
In verse 11, get this, God makes it for all the people of Israel and then he makes it a perpetual rule for all generations. That's, that's kind of beyond a special exemption, an exception now. I mean, God doesn't just give the daughters of Zelophad a, a specific thing that they ask for, like an allowance. Uh, he issues a proclamation, institutionalizes it, codifies it. It's not quite unprecedented, though. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture, Numbers chapter 9. In fact, it's the only other place in Scripture where there's a little bit of resistance and God codifies the resistance into law. It's the only other place in Scripture that it happens. Numbers chapter 9, I'm going to begin in verse 6. And there were certain men who were unclean. Now, unclean meaning according to the law. There were certain things that if you did them, you could not make sacrifices or, uh, um, you know, di different opportunities in the temple would not be afforded to you. Uh, they were made unclean through touching a dead body. Now, there were certain men, multiple ones, touching a dead body. I mean, it doesn't really take, I'm, I don't want to teach it as truth, but seemingly all of these men are related to each other, dealing with a specific thing. Perhaps a father has died and they had to take care of that, or some family member had passed away, or somebody they were taking care of and they were all in this together. Uh, and again, the scripture doesn't say that, but it doesn't take much to infer so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came to Moses and Aaron on that day. So this group, they were ritually impure. And so they couldn't offer the Passover offering. And that doesn't, that doesn't sit well with them. And so they approached Moses, Moses for help. And uh, Moses always goes to the Lord. So look at verse 7. And those men said, We are unclean through touching a dead body. Why are we kept from bringing the Lord's offering at its appointed time among the people of Israel? I mean, that's, again, pretty audacious to go to Moses and say, I know what God said, but I want to know why. Doesn't seem right for us to be kept out. We don't want to be left out. Look at verse 8. Moses said to them, Wait, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your descendants is unclean through touching a dead body or is on a long journey, he shall still keep the Passover to the Lord. The Lord said, If you touch a dead body, you're unclean. They said, Well, we touched a dead body and we're unclean. We want to offer Passover. Jesus said, Okay, good idea. What, a, what in the world is going on? On to verse 11. On the 14th day of Iyar, one month after Passover, a day referred to now, even to this day, as second Passover, that'll be his chance to participate. So those who have to bury a, a body of a loved one seems to be prejudiced against. It's not their fault that a loved one died. If God demands a Passover offering and then I'm eliminated from a Passover offering because I'm also commanded to take care of my family when they die, this seems kind of unfair. I mean, couldn't God have allowed him to die tomorrow so that today I could offer my sacrifice? You know, sometimes life gets in the way of life. 
and you have to choose certain things. God expects an offering and then through his providence eliminates them from practicing an act of obedience that serves a significant annual importance. Why is God eliminating us? We should not be eliminated. It sounds familiar. It's kind of the same thing that the daughters of Zelophad said. We don't want to be, we don't want to miss this opportunity. This is a very important opportunity. It's not their fault their dad died before they could marry. It's not their fault that they're girls. If God cared about me, wouldn't he have orchestrated life in my favor? We demand ours. And then God generously gives it. Maybe we should be a little more selfish, a little more accusatory in our prayers. Don't leave right now until you hear the rest of this sermon, okay? So we look deep. There's more to these two stories, I think, that ties them together. Again, the, the, the Hebrew wording of them is exactly the same. So I believe the, that God is tying them together. All of the Israelites would get to participate in something in one case, Passover, in another, inheriting the promised land. But in both cases, there's a small group of people who are left out. And they both want to approach God and say, we don't want to be left out. And so in the remaining time, I'm going to explain to you what their true heart is. In the girls of Zelophad, they're actually mentioned several times in, in uh, the book of Numbers and First Chronicles. Um, but there is something to be said in the heart of their request. Why would we be left out? And you can read that as if they're being... We want ours. But the other side of it is we, we are believing a 40-year promise that God has taken. And, and our daddy taught us to value this. And now our daddy is dead and we're not going to get to honor God in the land for perpetual generations. The Selephad name is not going to be a name that is known for honor It's not going to be able to be known as a place that God blessed. We were faithfully walking across the finish line. We want our name to be able to glorify God. No, we want our daddy's name as a perpetual honor, not to our name, but to the father's name be praised. We want the land. We don't want to be acclimated into some other family's name. We want our name to give God honor and glory because he brought us through Now, all of a sudden, it's completely different. They're not asking for selfish reasons at all. They're praying because what God gave them 40 years ago was an opportunity to display his glory. We don't want to forfeit that. And because of some circumstance beyond our control, we want an opportunity to be a perpetual family in the promised land. We know how important the Passover is. Passover is where the the death angel passed over all the Israelite homes and death came to the firstborn of all the Egyptian homes that didn't have the blood covered. We know how important that night of fleeing was. We we know how all of that works, Moses. We we are one of those families that was able to leave. And and I'm making this up. Our dad dies and all of a sudden we're eliminated from offering this sacrifice this year? The be able to... Practice the reminder to our children of the Passover? No, we want to... In fact, their wording is 
very intense. We want to be able to give God the offering. This wasn't about their heart. This wasn't about them feeling neglected. This wasn't about them being prejudiced against. It was them saying, we know what God wants. And our circumstances do not give us the opportunity to line up with what God wants. And so, Lord, will you change the circumstances so that we can line up with your greater will? Because we want you to receive the glory. It really shifts everything. And so I say that to us this morning. These two stories where God codifies law is where God doesn't just make exceptions. He institutionalizes the opportunity for us to be able to line up with his ultimate will. Now, in neither case, so for instance, the land, this doesn't do any harm to anybody. This exception for women to now be able to inherit land too, that actually, it doesn't undo the law, it extends the law. So God isn't saying, okay, that was a bad idea. No, 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 he he extends it. That's what God does a lot of time. He extends grace. So grace is now extending to this family. And as far as the Passover, okay, well, the law stands. This is the day of Passover but I'm going to give you a second Passover 30 days later. And on that day, you'll get a chance to offer. Now, it says that they already had offered Passover. I'm imagining, again, this is not scripture, but I'm imagining that these ritually unclean men go to the Passover offering to offer the Passover, and they're forbidden. Because it's not, their complaint doesn't come till after Passover is over. And God says, I'm going to give you another Passover. The second Passover Because it was important for them to be able to show that their hearts were aligned with the glory of God. Now, you go back through Scripture and you will see that ultimately, anytime anyone prays for God to receive glory through their life, God freely, quickly answers prayer. But when we're asking for selfish prayers, prayers for for blessing and prayers for comfort and prayers for money and prayers for conveniences... Sometimes we scratch our head and say, what's the formula for that? I can't figure that out. But the prayer that God always answers is when your life can, can find a way to want what he wants for you more than what you want for yourself. And that's the purpose of prayer. That's the purpose of the appeal is God giving us the grace to be able to glorify him regardless of our circumstances, our limitations. God opens a grace far beyond our limitations to allow us to receive, to, for him to receive the glory for that. So again, it's uh, kind of a complicated two, two stories, but in both cases, what they want is for God's glory, not their own. Now, here's a couple things I want to give to us is that it's really easy sometimes for us to convince ourselves that what we're praying is for God's glory and it's not really. That's why it's so important to pray in the Spirit because the Spirit can actually help you purify those prayers. You, can, you know good and well all you're doing is you're just uh, negotiating. And the Lord knows the difference. The Lord knows the difference. Sometimes we present that our desires are about God, but our desires are truly about selfishness. And I'll, I'll use an uh, extreme. If God would just let me win the lottery, I will give him 15%. No, you won't. You're not giving him anything now. I mean, go up, look at what he says. He who is faithful in little, I will give him much. 
And I, by the way, I'm not giving an endorsement on the lottery. But what I am saying is, listen, if you're not faithful in the little things, Lord, if you'll just let me get this job, I will. Yeah, and things never change. You know what God gave us? God gave us COVID for us to slow down a little bit. Who's busier now than they were then? We didn't learn anything. We haven't learned anything. Our world is upside down, and he gave us a perfect opportunity to restabilize. And what do we do? Argue and bicker and complain about every living thing, and now everybody hates each other. That really worked well, didn't it? What an opportunity. How many of us were sitting in our homes almost every evening playing games and having fun as a family? And now, where'd those nights go? Again, completely separate illustrations. But sometimes in our negotiation of what we think we want, we really are using them for our own glory. Lord, if you'll let me get that new vehicle, I'll drive homeless people around. No, you won't. You're not doing that now, and you're old beater. That's a better vehicle to do that in. Number two, God, listen, this is very important. God will change his expectations if we're sincere and transparent. God doesn't overlook the original rules, but he does give us additional opportunities to obey. I learned a long time ago in Bible college, had a tremendous teacher. And when I say this, it's a little bit, even just like that statement, it's a little bit off-putting at first. But he said, you know why rules exist? Well, I'm a rule follower. And so rules are, are very important to me. But do you know why rules exist? Mm. I would ask, but we would all have different answers. So I'll just tell you his answer. Rules exist so you'll know when to break them. Rules are very important so that you know how important the issue is. But sometimes the rules, again, I'm not saying that God is inconsistent. But sometimes the rules exist because God is putting us to see, do you want, do you want this or do you want my greatest glory? And you can start learning more about God's character and nature. Now, whether God still does this today like this, I feel like we've got the, the scriptures complete. We can learn from them and not expect a repeated opportunity here. Because a lot of times I know what we try to do. We're saying, well, you know, times are different now, Lord, and I want to do it this way. I, want to, I can give you better glory going this way, but this way is disobedient. You know, the laws of God are expressions of the values of God and his character that God wants us to hold. Values like truth and justice and compassion and holiness. And so ultimately, all that these parties are trying to do is to align with the value that the law exists for. The law exists to perpetrate values. And we should always live for the values. How do we perpetuate the values that God is trying to establish? And I think we'll find that when you truly walk in, in the presence of God, in the peace of God, with the Spirit of God, against such there is no law. Maybe our prayers should be a whole lot more like, help me do what it seems like you want me to be doing. I'm going to give you one more illustration. To number 16, and we'll tell it to you very fast. It's not, in, in fact, so fast that it's not fair. Number 16, Korah, we've already talked about Korah, the earth swallowed him up, uh, is come to Moses and said, hey, we don't really need a leader. We're all people of God. God speaks to all of us the same. He's not wrong about that, but God did establish Moses to be the leader. So, you know, Moses is a frustrated leader. At this point, 
Korah has already brought some accusations to Moses. Moses is angry. So is God. If you look at verse uh, number 16, 21 and 22, the Lord says, Moses, he's so, and now again, Moses is really angry. And the Lord said to Moses in number 16, 21, 22, he said, if you will separate yourself from these people, I'll consume them in a moment. That sounds pretty ominous. So, wow, boy, is God angry. Well, it doesn't say that God is angry here. I'll consume them in a moment. Just move away. You almost got a picture of God rolling up his sleeves. Moses, you know what Moses does? He falls to his knees and he begins to pray. God said, move away. Moses fell to his feet. That's kind of an odd thing. And he begins to say, Lord, will you condemn all the people for the sin of one man? No, let them live, Lord. Okay, so this 250 men standoff with Korah, there's this uh, little, I don't what a little issue for Korah, but the earth swallows them up, their family, all their stuff. 250 other men that were on his side destroyed. But the Lord preserved Israel. Will you believe it? The very next day, the very next day, here they all come out to Moses and said, you orchestrated this whole thing to get rid of Korah. This is all your fault, Moses. And Moses goes back. He said, Lord, these people that you've given me, you know what the Lord said? He said, Moses, go up. You and Aaron, go up and leave from them and I'll consume them in a moment. You know what Moses did? He cast himself down. He says, oh no, Lord. Now wait a minute, the Lord told him what to do. Moses did exactly the opposite of that. Because Moses understood, if I go away, you'll destroy them. What will you do if I don't go away? Because I know what you value, Lord. I know your heart. I know your promises. Now I'm going to supplicate on behalf of your people. No, Lord, please don't. Well, the Lord did what he promised. Moses did what he promised. And the Lord sent a plague to the people. And Aaron goes out with incense and stood between the living and the dead. And there were 14,700 Israelites that died through this plague. But it purified Israel. But Moses was able to stand in the middle, in the gap. For God's promises. God never intended to destroy all of Israel. But what God was doing was using a statement to reveal Moses' heart. Moses was irate until he had an option. And immediately his heart lined up with the heart of the Father. That's the purpose of prayer. It's really easy for us to meh, 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 meh. But sometimes in prayer... Our hearts can line up with the heart of God unless our goal is to try to get God's heart to line up with us. That is not the purpose of prayer. It is the formula for destruction. So maybe today, again, alignment always opens the door for surrender. And so today, that's kind of how I want to close. I don't, I don't feel like we need to learn how to figure out our culture, our circumstances, our issues, our difficulties. I feel like if we know the heart of God, that's our chief pursuit. And if we learn to walk toward the heart of God, 
Our lives couldn't be more different from that of the world. If we will learn to walk out the heart of God instead of trying to change God's heart, I feel like the testimony of God's people would be just as powerful today as it was then. So I want to challenge you this morning to join me in that prayer, to move beyond praying for food and sleep and physical suffering and fear, and to begin to spend time in the very presence of God, learning His heart, and then applying His heart on, as we go to apply His heart. I think you'll see fruit dripping off your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I, I thank you for people like Zelophad's daughters. We don't know much about them, but we know they weren't afraid to be bold for your glory. I don't know about you, even the, the ceremonially unclean. I don't know much about them. I don't know, we don't know anything about who it was or what it was or the circumstances, but we know that they were bold to be able to have an opportunity to bring you your greatest glory, to be able to be reminded of your presence and of your peace. And Lord, even with Moses, the way you are able to orchestrate your statements that help us understand our own hearts, purifies our hearts. So Lord, today, it's a lot going on. But I ask today that you would help us to understand the true nature of prayer, to be able to carve out time, to be able to spend daily in your word, to be able to spend daily in your presence, in your spirit, and to be able to understand your heart for the people we encounter, your heart for the circumstances of life, so that when we speak, we can speak your truth. When we act, we can extend your hands. So Lord, help us to understand your values and not just go through the habits. When Israel focused on the rules, they turned to idolatry. They turned to laziness, stiff-necked, going through the motions kind of people. And I'm fearful that's exactly what we've done. We've just turned into people who know what to do and which buttons to push. But Lord, I pray that we would learn sensitivity and learn the values of the kingdom and to be able to, to, to be molded and shaped into who you are so that as we go, others will see you. For your glory, Lord, not our own. We've got a lot of confessing to do, a lot of repentance to do. Because, Lord, we have made this life about us. So, Lord, I pray that you would break us. I pray that, pray that you would mold us. I pray that you would soften our hearts through whatever means necessary so that we can reveal the values of the kingdom. as we go. I'm glad you're here today. Hope you feel at home, part of the family. Hope you have a great week. Hope you have opportunities to, to, to take inventory of aligning your life to the values of the kingdom and aligning 
God's expectations of you to surpass your wants and desires. And may you want what he wants for you more than what you want for yourself. That's where you'll find peace. That's where you'll find life. So Lord, I just pray blessing over your people today. I pray that we would hear your word and follow your spirit into a deeper intimacy with your person, not just your stuff, but communing with your heart so that we may know what you want instead of just telling you what we want. So align our hearts with yours. Help us to align our hearts to yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.